It's a wet, cold, and rainy day, but this player is still really excited to play because just had really good sessions with his coach this week. They did a lot of work on Trackman, got his path and face really squared up, but more importantly, they did a lot of distance work and they really got his distances down. So he even has a label on his bag. Pitching wise, just going this distance, nine iron, this distance, eight iron, this distance. So tees off on the first hole, even with nerves, is able to really hit a great drive, feeling awesome, walking to the ball. So he gets up, puts his bag down, first thing he reaches for, he grabs the rangefinder, lasers it, sees he's got 146. Okay, so he knows his distance and his eight iron is a 150 club. So immediately reaches for the eight iron, grabs it, does a few rehearsals. However, he has a pretty strong downwind, right? But I didn't, we didn't see this player throw up any grass, right? He just saw the distance, grabbed the club, started practicing, going through his process. So not only is it a downwind, but the pin is in the front of, uh, of the pole or on the green. So he fires away and it sails over the pin into a back bunker. So the player goes up, goes through the bunker shot. You know, it's a really tough bunker shot with a lot of green to work with into the wind now. Leaves it way short and ends up three putting. So the hole is actually kind of gets pretty bad. So it goes to the second hole, already frustrated. And same thing, this player's a good driver of the ball. So he hits a good drive. And then he goes in and now he's actually got a little bit shorter. He's got 127, but so again, lasers this, he's 127, and he knows, okay, like I'm in between. So my pitching wedge goes 130, but my gap wedge goes, you know, like 120. So he's really in between. And again, now it's a back pin. So he tries to, because he hit the last one long, not really thinking about the conditions. Now he really just start, tries to muscle up a gap wedge and leaves it way short. And then again, proceeds to three putt because he's got about a you know, 55 foot putt. Did hit the green, but it's way short. So this player gets frustrated, frustrated. What he fails to kind of think is like, now he's like, I'm hitting the ball poorly, but he's actually hitting really good shots, but he's not taking in factors. He doesn't have a system to figure out, you know, what club to hit in what situation. He's just lasering and hitting. And this is so common. So in this episode, we're gonna go through and teach you how to make simple decisions and simple factors, you know, to sharpen your decision-making skills and really be better and improve your performance on the course. That's coming up right now. Welcome to the Go Low Show, where it's about golf, grit, and your pursuit of greatness. My name is Kyle Olderink, and I am your co-host, along with my man, John Weir, mental game coach extraordinaire. And in this podcast, we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game. And we're excited to bring you that show right now. Expect anything different? Is it his time? Yeah! It's time to go. All right, John. So this is something very common in players 
that they just they really don't have a system to make decisions. So they go out there and they kind of have a little call a baseline of what they might do in practice, uh, stock yardages, whatever it is. But there's no real this is how I make decisions. And I think that is a crucial part of playing really at your best level, whatever that is, is you got to have like a system down for this is what shot I'm going to play, what club I'm going to pull and why. Um, Again, just a lot of people don't have that. And I just think it screws them up big time. So what do you think? A hundred percent. I think if you're looking at um, like junior competitive players, a lot of college players even still run into some of these challenges and definitely the the amateur and high handicappers. When I go and watch them play, basically their decision making strategy entails taking out their laser, laser in their flag. And it's let's say it's 150. They pull out their 150 club. And next thing you know, they're just hitting the shot. They don't really take into consideration other factors like their lie, uh, wind factors, trajectories, or even if it's a red light, green light, or yellow light, right, for their flag, whether they should be attacking or not. So I say we definitely need a strategy so that we can ensure that we're making proper decisions all the time. And that's a crucial part of setting forth a successful shot process. So a basic way to look at this is LDT. So if you're new to making some decisions and you just need a basic strategy, LDT is the way to go. And that stands for lie, distance, and trajectory. So this gives us a little basic formula to be looking at to assess our shot. Well, what's our lie? Because your lie is going to be able to, will dictate a lot of what you can do. And if you're in the rough, of course, depending if it's an up lie or a down lie, is going to influence your spin and how the ball is going to come out. So we definitely have to learn what is the lie doing and what will it demand of the ball or dictate the ball doing. We want to take into consideration our distances. And you can't just laser a flag to get an appropriate distance. We have to be adding and subtracting for some wins and taking in some variables, even like slopes, depending upon where you are, to determine what that, that number is actually playing. So like on tour, we're looking for the raw number, and then we're always getting our adjusted number. And the adjusted number is basically what we're playing off of. And then obviously, too, the trajectory the ball is going to take and how it's going to hit the green or respond on the green. So if you're new to the game or you're new to getting a good decision-making strategy, this LDT is a great way to start. Yeah, and I mean, really, it could almost be LDTW to throw wind in there, don't you think? Sure, sure. Just to ensure that you're factoring that in for your distance and getting your adjusted number, for sure. But you're right. I mean, it's just it's a good baseline, and, and anything that you have for that is going to be a tremendous help. Because anytime we can say these are my variables and this is the shot, because the truth is, is that you don't have a full out shot like very often at all. Almost every single shot is going to be an in between. Because like if you look at your iron specifically, they gap anywhere between ten to fifteen yards. So it's, we're never going to have that perfect number, or at least not often, I should say. So most of these shots, we got to take a little off or we got to step on. So like knowing this is when I'm really going to go hard at, you know, a nine iron versus knock down an eight or vice versa. This is when I'm going to take a little off an eight versus go hard at a nine. Like knowing that and being committed to that is big because what I can't stand, especially around the green, is when players are looking at two different clubs and going, well, what do I hit? Like that has to be defined and prepared before you even get out there. So like 
this is why I'm a huge advocate of like one wedge around the green. Not not everybody agrees with that by by any means, but um, I th- I like 56 degree wedge and I play all my shots with that and I try to teach players to do that just because it takes so much of that big menu out of play. And just saying, like, this is the club I'm going to hit. I'm either going to run it or spin it based on these variables. And just having that defined is, is a big deal. Yeah, 100%. We, we kind of do the same thing whenever we're looking at attack clubs and, and our opportunities to attack greens. So some of the general rules to follow, I think, would be is if you have a 7-iron or less, like you got a 7-8-9 pitching wedge, wedge in your hand, it's really time to attack. So if you're on a par three with one of those clubs, man, attack the green or attack the pin. If you're looking at a shot where you got a six iron or more, or you got like a three wood in your hands, a lot of times people play way too aggressive with these longer clubs. So our general rule of thumb is, is if you got more than a six, then we're going to take it to the center because that's going to increase our ability to hit a poor shot and yet still be in a successful position. The other things that we like to do is if you have a front pin and it's way front, Add five to that number immediately and then go through the rest of your decision-making process. That way, if you hit it a little heavy, you're not short of the green and short-sided or maybe in a hazard, you're still finding the front of the green. And if you flush it, you're maybe a little longer, but you still have that birdie putt or that opportunity. And same thing with the back flag. We're going to immediately take five off that one off the back to prevent with all costs going over the green. And these are some things that help us to be Adding some flexibility in what we have to do, we don't have to hit the perfect shot, which opens us up to hitting a more fluid one anyways. And then also get in the habit of identifying like which flags are really green light flags and which ones are yellow or red. So if you're playing a draw, green light flags would be any pin basically on the left because you get to attack through the fat. That's how we kind of call it, attack through the fat of the green. That way, if we miss it, we still are on the putt. We're, we're going to have a longer roll, but so be it. We're not going to miss short-sided. And then again, if you had a right flag playing a draw, that's red light. We're never going to go and attack that flag. We're going to play to the center and take more of, more of our longer putt. So these are some great general rules to have out there to help with decision-making on when to attack and when to attack more than the center. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a lot of variables depending on how complex you want to be. And I don't think it needs to be terribly complex once you figure out your way. But some other factors that can go in there is wind, slope, altitude, uh, even time of the day, if it's cold or hot out, you know, that affects, that's a big one. Like if we're cold or if it's 80 degrees and humid versus 50 degrees, things are going to be different. So, you know, when players are distancing their clubs out, you got to give some room for uh, error there because it's going to change on a daily basis. But that's where we got to know more of the zones of that club versus the exact yardage because things just change day to day. I mean, even just our, our feeling and our energy level can be different. Uh, if you ate something that's weighing you down versus one day you might just be all pumped up. I mean, there's, we just got to know where we're at, be able to adapt within that system that we've created for ourselves. All right. So John, now talking about that system, let's tell the listeners, you know, some things they can do to start learning theirs and what they can do in practice with that. Okay, so let's just really look at what's the main goal in decision-making. It's really to arrive at a commitment, something we can commit to to fuel the rest of our shot process. And as you alluded to earlier, it's, it's not often that we get to a number that's just a pure number for us. So you're always kind of having to make some adjustments, right? 
And when you're in between clubs or you're in between yardages and we have a lot of options, we want to make sure we're coming to a sound decision and we're kind of looking at things from all angles. When you look at the way the mind is wired through typo typology and looking at the structure of the mind that's hardwired preferences, the mind's always doing two things. It's taking in information and it's, it's making decisions about that. And we have four main mental functions that we all work through and that are hardwired into our mind. We have a sensing function that looks at facts and details. We have an intuitive function that kind of looks at the big picture and the wholeness of, of what's going on. And then we have two ways of making decisions, thinking and being logical and feeling kind of checking our state or how we feel about things. So if we look at these hardwired functions, and if you're in between numbers, there's four questions that you can do. So you can write down these four specific questions, and this is the exact process to walk through. The first question that you ask yourself is, what are the facts about this shot? So you go down and break down some of the main facts. What is my distance? What is the, the wind doing? What is my lie? Break down all the things that we kind of touched on. So what are the critical facts that I need to know? That employs your sensing function of mind, the linear part. Then you say to yourself, the next question, what are my best two options? And you kind of, maybe that's a, a knockdown seven versus a hard nine, or maybe it's playing two different shot shapes. So you identify what are your two best options here? This employs your intuitive function of mind and seeing what's possible. Then you employ the logic. You say, okay, what are the pros and cons of each of these options? So quickly kind of go in your mind and say, well, if I hit the knockdown eight, uh, the con is I could come up maybe a little bit short or, you know, break down the pros and cons of each shot quickly in your mind. And then you're going to arrive at the last question, which is going to be what feels right to me or what am I most confident doing? This simple forced question thing can become a habit and done really, really quickly. So what are the facts? What are my best two options? What are the pros and cons? And what do I feel most confident with? Here, you're going to be able to arrive at a committed decision no matter what the situation is. And when we're there, we're already about 80% of the way to being successful through the rest of our process. Yeah, that's perfect. And I love what you said because it's so true about just committing to it. Because, you know, you hear so many players talk about, I just wasn't committed, I can't commit, whatever that is. So we're learning this level of commitment by having this all defined and how you do and how you make your decisions. I mean, that's perfect. So there's some things you can do also on the course that's going to help with this, or even on the practice facility is to actually like, and let's start with a practice facility, but actually hitting shots and trying to hit your in-between yardages, I think is perfect because you're going to start to see like, am I better in this situation with this club or this club? As a general rule of thumb, I like you to go um, back off of wedges and go harder at mid irons. I think it's really hard to take a shot or like a lot of distance off like a seven iron and be able to keep it straight. Like it, it really tends to hook or uh, it's, it's just hard to control the face in my opinion. Doesn't mean it has to be that way, but that's just like a good thing. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to back down on wedges and hit half three quarter wedges, but I'm going to typically go harder at, um, you know, mid irons type thing. Again, that's just something to look at, something to test for yourself. But again, when you're able to do that and go out and practice that and just get out of that, just banging full seven irons on the range, you just are learning so much. And we can't stress enough that learning in practice versus performance and then write it down. So you have it to go back to. So you have your, 
this is how I play formula. Yeah, one great thing that I like to do is I take players out on the course and we do two ball games. So one ball, we put a big A on it, and the other one, we put a C. So one ball is going to be played aggressively. So we're always going to be making very aggressive decisions and taking the most aggressive lines. The other ball, we write C on it, we're going to play conservative, and we're going to play the sensible shot in all situations. And then we notice what scores better and why. So when does the aggressive ball score better? When does the conservative ball score better? And what we're doing is, is we're playing around on the course with a lot of different decisions. And that way we can find what our comfort zone is and where do we feel comfortable attacking. So this is a wonderful way to go out and record and, and see where you feel aggressive, like want to play aggressive and you can help you formulate a game plan in your decision making and when it's appropriate to play conservative. You're going to find that if you play a little bit more conservative in your approach shots on the green and be a little more selective with your green lights, you're going to find yourself hitting a lot more greens and scoring a lot better. And typically players find that the conservative route tends to yield a better result. But uh, put it to the test in your game. Go out, play two balls, make dramatically different decisions, and then after each hole evaluate why one did better or how you would alter it in situations. I think you'll discover a lot about your game and it'll give you a lot of opportunity to boost your decision-making skills. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in terms of the practice setup, like that on-course practice is so good for learning and building your performance when you can do it. It's it's hard to do it for some people, and I get that, because like you said in a previous episode, that we play, you know, golf's not practice on the field of play. So... You know, and it's hard, like if you're not a member at a club or something, it's hard to jump out there and practice. Like if you're paying a greens fee, then, you know, you want to actually just go play. But, you know, that on-course practice is so valuable if you can do it, if not really simulating it the best you can on the range. But this is why we said in the practice episode that, you know, we want to keep that block practice, that technique down to a maximum really of 20% of your time because of the amount of variability and because of the amount of factors we got to learn to deal with and the problems that we have to solve on the golf course. Like we need that variability in our practice and we got to start to test ourselves and measure that and what we're doing and defining what we're doing so, you know, if I have 153 yards with a wind into me and I'm a little upslope, this is what I'm doing. You know, if I have a 72 yard wedge and the pins front and I got some, you know, bunkers front of the green, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, every time that is defined, it's that level of commitment is there because it's just like, it's this, this, and this, this is what I'm hitting. And then I'm walking in with my process and bam. And then we just do that constantly in practice. And the players that are willing to do that are going to be the ones that are having a lot of fun in the course because they're going to be playing better. Yeah, hundred percent. And one last thing is, is if you can, and you get, you have a home course, put your laser away, start working on building your mental acuity, find ways to to, uh, you know, do something a lot more than just lasering a number, go build a yardage book, create a homemade yardage book for yourself. These types of things are going to help you see the track in a whole different way, help you to come to different types of decisions. And it's going to definitely make your, your success on the course a lot easier. Yeah. That's an interesting one. The playing without a laser. And it's like people almost kind of raise their eyebrows at you when you say that now but I mean it is a great practice tool because it makes you think it makes you factor some things in um, and that's how I played you know I mean lasers didn't exist when I was playing competitively I mean I had to find yardage uh, blocks and sprinkler heads and step it off and basically guess 
Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what we're doing out on tour. And it's amazing how much more goes into the decision making, right? You really take a lot more time to factor in wind and slope and where you're at and how we want to attack the course. So putting the laser away makes you slow down a little bit. And I think if any part of your routine should be slow, it should be the decision making, taking time to stop, assess the situation and arrive at a choice that you can feel committed about. If you're not coming to a committed point in your decision making, it's going to be tough for the rest of your routine to be committed. So it really sets the tone. So what's a solid decision? One that you have a clear picture in your mind of your target and the shot. You have a decision in your mind on how what you want to execute in your swing and that you're clear in, in, in what your objective is. All right. So, John, you know, what's really cool is caddies on the tour level which you actually are now we should probably discuss that but you know caddies out on the tour level and their players talking and the detail that goes into the shots I remember I'll never forget this one time that really kind of made me start to think as they had a mic really close to Phil Mickelson and he had a wedge in his hand and his caddy told him 73 yards I think I might be making that part up but it was somewhere close to there and he said is that point zero and he was like no it's like 73.4.5 or something I was like man he wants to know that down to the point but it's like he knew like if it's a half a yard you know I might need to step on that a little bit more because of the spin type thing I mean Mickelson is notorious for being so detailed in that you know decision making process and you hear it a lot too as they're miking players up or getting closer to them on television you hear some of the talks that go into what they're doing and you know being around uh, one of my players and like you know in some of his events as well and his caddy and him you know they're always talking about the actual number like it's this with wind factored in and slope and they call it you know adjusted right so this is the adjusted number and this is what the actual is and it's you know it's amazing too when you see that level of player I mean how accurate they can be because they just are so good at making those decisions and factoring in those variables and they just do a better job than I think a lot of players which is why the tour players are play at such a high level. Yeah, 100%. And they can definitely commit to hitting that number too, because like you said, they practice a lot of variability in their practice. I mean, I know I've went to the range and watched my pro hit 150 yards with a nine iron, a five iron, a seven iron, and almost all the clubs in his bag, even just playing to that distance. So they have so much repertoire and their ability to distance control is amazing. But the detail that we go into on every single shot is is extraordinary and doing it very, very quick. Uh, yeah, and down to the percentage. I mean, we have wind charts and numbers that we're coming up to. It's It can be to the half yard, 100%. I had a caddy buddy who told me he got fired because his pro said, you didn't, you didn't pace off that half yard. You know, I need to know if that half yard is there or not because that could be the difference between, you know, me having a four-footer or, or a tap-in. So, uh, yeah, the, the extent of the decision-making – uh, is is pretty awesome. But what is ultimate goal for a tour player or even to the amateur, it's there to arrive at commitment. And obviously on tour, they're going to a lot of greens that have very tight landing spots and tuck pins. And so it really do- much demands precision in the number and the decision making. For an amateur, when we have some middle pins and things, we can go in and bring some of these other factors in that are going to dramatically improve your performance. Just taking the time to consider if this is a green light flag with your ball flight or not can save you a lot of strokes. 
So you want to develop a system in your flow. You obviously don't have to go into learning dew point and all that stuff if you're a weekend warrior or a high handicapper, but you definitely want to bring in, let's say, LDT and learning how lies are influencing your shots and making decisions based off those factors and more than just a number. You'd be amazed at how much more committed you are over the shot and how much more success you're going to have if you put a lot more emphasis in your decision making and coming to a sound decision before proceeding with your routine. Well, all right, John, we'll wrap it up there for this episode and you're dropping knowledge like always. Really good episode and something that's very powerful in terms of performance is just understanding and creating your system for making decisions. So really take this episode to heart. You can really change some things for the better by making really sound decisions and committing to that. Really cool stuff. So, again, we're leaving you there. We'll see you on the next episode again. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Go Low Show, also Facebook and our website, www.thegolowshow.com. Jump on there, ask us anything you want to ask us, and we're happy to do an episode, uh, answer questions for you on social media, whatever it takes to help your game. But thanks again for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.